Amazon, everyone sees that when they see a product, right? Mm -hmm. And the person that, that the company that pops up first, not when you say who else is selling this is who owns the, that's called the buy box. Yep. So, um, when a retailer discounts and they're selling also through Amazon, or basically is because there's a cheaper price out there, Amazon will just take down your buy. You, you get, you won't have the buy box anymore because you're not the cheapest price because they found through their searching online that a retailer is under that retailing you're selling to is undercutting you. So they'll take you out of the buy box. Yep. And then your promotions, your marketing won't work. So again, Minimum so price therefore, therefore, don't let the tail wag the dog. Understand the foundation of your business. Build your business and your logic and your profit around your business model. And regardless of if your uh, stakeholders are telling you something, you listen because you might be missing something. Yeah. But don't abandon your, uh, your yeah. business model. Welcome to Big Business Mistakes, hosted by Brandon and Kaylin Poulin. Hear the most successful entrepreneurs tell jaw-dropping stories and lessons behind their biggest business mistakes so that you don't make them. Ditch the fake highlight reel and get the raw truths and golden lessons of what it actually takes to scale your business from those who have done it. This is Big Business Mistakes. What's going on, guys? We're here at the Big Business Mistakes Show. Welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Brandon Poulin. Kalen Poulin is not joining us today, so you got me. And we're here with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tom Shipley. Welcome, man. Hey, it's great to be here. Love it, man. We're here in person at my house. I know, this is great. In the studio. I love it. I'm excited, man. In the country, which I love. Oh, dude, Austin is ridiculous. We're here in Austin, guys. So... Digging into this, guys, I got to tell you who this guy is. So if you guys don't know, um, I had to get your bio up because I'm like, there's there's things I got to touch on, man. You were Israel's defense forces, right? Military man. IDF, yep. IDF, special forces. Guys, um, Tom is an incredible entrepreneur, guys. One of his beauty brands has sold over $2 billion. $2 billion. I didn't know it was $2 billion. Yeah. Dang. Through direct-to-consumer marketing and retail, Tom has raised $100 million from private equity to launch the Amazon and e-commerce aggregator Foundry Brands. So that's one of the things that you've done. So you've raised a lot of money. You've sold a lot of product, right? Direct-to-consumer. And recently co-founded an advertising agency aggregator called AVA. And you are rolling up 20 agencies per year with a people-first programmatic M&A model to challenge the outdated global agency holding industry. Dude, you're doing you're doing some big things, my man. I'm excited to have you on here. I'm excited to be here. Let's roll, And besides, man. if you want to talk about mistakes, I think I got a record on that one. Yeah? I love it, man. So what's like your initial take on, I'm going to come onto a podcast and share mistakes? Like, how did that land on you, land for you? Um, when I talk and give speeches, I talk a lot about that because to me, it's, um, why should other people have to go through the same mistakes that you make? So mm. part of our mission is to, uh, make things easier for other people and have impact. So with the mistakes that I made in sharing them can help other people all in. Mm, so good, man. Love that. 
Guys, we're going to have Tom spill his biggest mistakes on this this episode. My goal is to get something out of him that he hasn't said on a podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my goal. I'm like, I'm like, what can I get out of him that he could share? Because because I know he came to bring it, guys. And all we ask for you guys listening right now, because this is going to be so good, guys, $2 billion, right? Like Tom has been around, he's done big things, and he's done multiple things, right? He's not just like a one-hit flash-in-the-pan entrepreneur. He's done multiple things. So all I need for you guys to do is at the end of this episode is to leave a review with the biggest takeaway that you got. Because I read those. Kayla and I read those. We want to hear from you guys. We want to see um, what you guys have to say. So, all right, man, you, you want to dig in? Let's do it. You want to dig in? Okay, we're ready. So obviously, you're feeling good about sharing your mistakes because you're like, I talk about this. I speak on this. So let's just come out of the gate with a big one. Like, What do you feel like is the biggest business mistake that you've made? You know, it's interesting because there are mistakes that you learn from that aren't great stories. They're just foundations. And then there are those that are painful. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to go for the painful one on this one. Well, I'll probably go for the biggest one second. It's not a good story, but it's really powerful lessons. Yeah. Um, so you go in, you're consulting with a business and you want them, You they say, how do I increase my profit this year by 25 to 50%. What do you tell them? What's the easiest three things they can do? How do I increase profit 25 to 50%? I mean, you could say, um, well, we need to make more, get more customers, increase the value of your customers and get the customers buying more frequently. Right. So right? my foundation is always, if you, and it depends on your margins, but ballpark. Put me on figures. the spot there, man. I'm sweating. Ball, ball, you're close. Ballpark figures is first of all, raise your prices. Yeah. Five to 10%. Number two, um, get, uh, increase your conversion rate five or 10% and then get more, then get more to them to buy more by mm -hmm. five or 10% and your bottom line will increase by 35 to 50%. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are the fundamentals. I know this. And in at Atlanticus Brands, one of the things that we did is we had some. So what's Atlantic Coast Brands? Just just backstory. Okay. Atlantic Coast Brands is a company. It was my I'm gonna second say it was my second business real scaling business I did. My okay. first was WebPoint Web 1.0, 1999. It was an omni-channel business, and that was a T-Shipley catalog. We it was online business plus it was a million catalogs. We used to mail out every month. Catalogs in the mail. Catalog, I know that. I love it. And it was in the days. I don't know if you remember. Dude, you're no like, G. Yeah, it was like Jay Peterman was out and just. A mate front gate was still, you know, earlier face. There was just amazing catalogs back then. And then we are 14 pages in the Sky Mom magazine, which I don't even know if you remember the Sky Mom magazine, the airline magazine, uh, where people used to buy from on the airplanes. I told, I know what you're talking about. You never saw I them. think I've seen one. Okay. When did they discontinue them? Uh, probably it five, 10 years ago. Somewhere like I've that. seen one. I've seen one. Okay. It has been so recent. again, so, so that was a thing. So it was, it was significant back then. It was a great channel. Um, we did full page ads in, in, in magazines. So it was a great fun business. Uh, sold that business off to less than one. I'll come back to remind me about that. Sold, uh, sold it off to a group out of New Jersey. Uh, some, uh, spent a few years consulting. And then I decided to take my playbook and launch the next business in an in industry where we were told you will never succeed. You cannot 2005. You cannot use direct response marketing to build iconic beauty brands. 
cannot be done. It is direct responses look at it very blowing. I know that. And I said, I love when people underestimate me, okay? Tell me what I can't say, do. Yeah, that's exactly it, especially when I know that <laughs> Please. unique unique economics. If I can afford if I can afford to spend more money than you, because consumers are paying for my marketing, yeah, then I will create impressions and with delivering on my brand promise and great marketing, I will create iconic brands. And so people laughed at us as these two former special forces guys in in uh, in Richmond, Virginia, started this business. And it was the first year was painful. Getting we went all in. I mean, when I say all in, I mean not only mortgage credit cards. Also, I when we're totally out of cash, I couldn't feed my family. I actually found out that we could, um, I could get loans against my two cars that I owned. And so again, we were scrappy as hell. So this so, was Atlantic Coast Brands. Atlantic Coast Brands. So three hundred thousand dollars in revenue. This no, this is two thousand and five. Okay. 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 Two thousand five. Three hundred thousand dollars on our first brand that we incubated. I had a great lab develop it, but we had neighborhood meetings where we, with neighbors about testing the product and things like this. Mm-hmm. Hydroxytone. Two years later, we did a hundred in twenty-five million with that brand. That's the first brand we did over a billion dollars with. In the first two years. For within the first two and a half years, wow. we did 125 million. First year was so 300,000. So selling yes. selling out of a magazine. Now this was okay. This that that was the first business. Okay, to Shipley, which was online. Got and, it. And, but the second business was we started with online and print, mm-hmm. full page ads in USA Today and Parade Magazine, things like that. Yep. And then we expanded to radio, short form radio. Then we expanded to, uh, it was always online, short form TV. We kept on adding channels, one channel at a time, get that to work, get that plate spinning, optimize it, create the next one. As we kept on creating new and always new creatives and building the team out. Mm -hmm. And back then, 2005, it's not like now where everything is on demand you can get. You can get bandwidth on demand, you can get platforms on demand. Back then, there was nothing. So we had a tech team building out our technology, building out our CRM because it didn't exist back then. Right. To do what we want to do, which was You've got microsites like a and server room funnels. in a closet. We did. Overheated <laughs> with fans blowing in. Oh my God, it was silly at that time. Um, Cat we 5 wiring everywhere. Oh my God. And yeah. we, yeah, we had, um, we, we were, we were, it's like, even getting T1s into our call center and we were like, um, it took 45 days to six to 60 days to get T1s in. So you can handle the capacity for the inbound calls to customer service. Yeah. It was crazy. And therefore our, our systems was bombing out from like, when you go that fast of growth, yeah. we couldn't hire enough program. We couldn't hire enough people. We didn't, couldn't hire enough customer service people. If you breathe, we would bring you in. So it was just, yeah, do you it have was, a pulse? It oh, was you have a, a felony? Come on in. <laughs> it was an ugly, ugly, very, it was an ugly, you know, people think wow. it's great to grow like that, but that level of volume. And back then it was because we were building everything Yeah, and, uh, people are used to talking to people. So we always outsource inbound sales because that was easy with call centers. It could handle that volatility, but customer service, we were, um, we had hubris and ego that we said, no one can do it as well as we could. Yeah. Like I said, there was so a is lot that, of is that the, is that the mistake at the core? Is it the customer service or like what's no, the mistake coming out of okay, that? So, um, so we talked about a lot of increased okay, crisis, so right? There, so there's a lot and, of mistakes. Let me go to the very, towards the very end. We had three bad things that happened to us mm-hmm. in one period of time. One was where our manufacturer, the sole manufacturer of our continuity product went bankrupt. $500 million manufacturer went bankrupt. Wow. That was the big one. We tried. And you had no backup. 
No, there wasn't because there was only one FDA approved uh, supplier in the world that had the ANDA for this. Right. It would take 18 months to do it. And we said, probably based on the million dollars of cost, why would we do that? Yeah. We should do it. Let's do that. Let's talk. We just never pulled the trigger so on it. So you just basically lost your supply chain. Yes. Like you, you, you well, lost the, pro- the ability to produce the product. And what happens sell. when you can't ship for 90 days to continuity customers that are getting the product monthly or bi-monthly? They cancel. Yeah, they're like, then, hey, I'm not getting the, my and stuff. Then you, if you're good, you might be able to get back 10% of them. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're making between six to $700,000 of profit a month. This was after we received three offers to buy the business between fifty-five to $75 million. This happens and we start losing customers. At the same time, uh, two different ideas. One, we had an online promotion that was doing... Um, really well in the email channels. So we said, let's test it out for Black Friday. And it just, it drove down our advertising costs by about 70% because it was a promotion, it was a discount promotion. Mm-hmm. So we got, we thought uh, we understood you, the lifetime value of these customers. You, and so you, we got- You took a little bit of the, of the of the sweet- Of the crack, yes. You took a and, little bit of the sweet discount money. And what we- th- Okay. But we you what you're doing is you're predicting the lifetime value. Right. You have a handle if you're shipping out every 60 days, what the lifetime value is, is within 60 days, your first next auto ship rate, mm-hmm. you really have it between 90 and 120 days. And we were, Facebook customers were such low value that we lost the bet. We were actually losing money every customer versus making money. Because you were acquiring discount customers. But we were trying to make up from the shortfall because by within right. 90 days, we got stock back in, we got up and running, we right. got things out of bankruptcy. We're trying to make money, we're trying to figure out how do we get that pool of customers back. So again, so So let me stop for a second. I want to unpack that. Go on. Because I know you have a third thing. So the first thing, guys, is that you lost your only manufacturer and there kind of wasn't a contingency plan because it was the only one you could go to, but the unthinkable happened. The $500 million manufacturer goes out of business. See, and this is like, I tell people about operational risk Right, like if you're an entrepreneur, you don't you don't realize how much operational risk that you carry in your company because something like that can happen. You have no control, you have no warning, and all, you almost couldn't even do anything about it. In, in hindsight, you probably could have, but we could have made the investment when we right. we talked. We've been talking about that for a couple of years. You had been, was, oh yeah, okay. So, so my head of operation like had been more. doing research on what would it take. We talked to attorneys. What would it take for us to get our own? Yeah. What would happen? How would we benefit from a long time? But it was such a big investment and right. long period of time. And you're like, oh, they're never going to go under. Like we don't need to do that. It's a low risk. It's a low we risk. Low risk. See, and that's saying, hey, it's low risk. You even investigate it. You you went this step further than most people would do is and investigate the cost and the time and all of that. And so that operational risk is huge, right? So, and then the, the, the second thing that you said was so big, because I want people to get this, is that they were using LTV models, right? So spend $50 to acquire a customer, get back $200 over the lifetime, and it's profitable, right? And this, you know, this isn't your numbers, but this is just an example, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, the LTV was not as high as you thought it was because you were, discounting and you were attracting a different type of customer. Is that what happened? uh, Yes. And again, and so I want to, I want to unpack channels are different. Right. Email again, the hit was probably about 15% in lifetime value there. Mm -hmm. The hit in Facebook was 40%. Ah, so we said, let's all channels are not equal. That's exactly it. And the Mm -hmm. impact of discounts are not now. Typically we're a very, we were a very thoughtful patient company. 
We test, we wait before we roll. We always get the read on lifetime value before we roll. The, however, here is we were, we, th- we, we thought we might have a chance to recover one of the three letters intent to buy the company. Mm-hmm. We were desperate that we were losing so many customers so fast and we needed to figure out a way to recover them. Mm-hmm. And so we, we basically, and we said, we have a year of data on email. How much risk is there? So we threw caution to the wind and we rolled this out again. It's you get, sometimes it's by greed, sometimes it's by feeling of desperation that you'd make decisions that you don't normally do. And especially when it's about numbers, patience wins. Mm-hmm. You guys, what I love about Tom is that, dude, you have the numbers down, right? And and Kayla and I, we talk a lot about the path of math, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you have to have predictable revenue, consistent acquisition. And I mean, at that at that volume, I mean, what, what were you guys doing in your biggest months? Uh, well, that year, uh, we were doing about 80 million a year. Okay, so 80 million a year. I don't care if you're 80 million a year, or your $800,000 a year. Like if you don't understand the simple math of acquisition and, and lifetime value and your cash in between those two points, like you can't scale a business no. and you know that. And so what, what I think is so interesting about the lesson is the component of discounts, right? Because discounts, they're like, it's like that hit of adrenaline that you get. Right. It's like, it's like drugs. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like sticking a needle in your arm, getting this artificial hit. But then later on, you wake up and you're like, where am I, right? Because what you do is you create you create a lower value customer, you attract discount buyers, you lower LTVs, you discount the value of your product in the marketplace. And it's tough to get off of that. It's like a cycle. We, we had a, a stint with discount pricing that I can definitely relate. Wow. So what was the, the, what was the third uh, the third? And by mistake? the way, I'll just throw in here as far as... Um, it's an interesting strategy I learned from a friend's business that I was an advisor at. And what it is the offset to it is, um, it's something that we used when we came back and it's a great comeback story after that. But um, it's how you can keep promotions live. First of all, for every holiday, and there's typically one to two holidays a month, you can run a new promotion and call it that holiday. You can switch out your value added gifts, you can package it different. And then what we felt is found is that, you know how long um, St. Patty's Day promotion runs? Mm, a week, two till weeks. Till it stopped working. <laughs> and sometimes it was three or four months. I love that. We had a bunch of promotions running and they kept on running until they stopped working. So repackage. So right? basically a little of a different value, but always this, we different title of promotions for yep. different holidays is it's a reason to buy and a reason to get this great value because yes. we were running so a value. Good. It wasn't massive discount. Yes. It was just always consistent prices with adding and changing the value to it. So again, that's how we got it. You guys, that was, fixed I hope you guys caught that. was like, that was a golden nugget just raining down. So instead of doing discounts all the time, you do promotions based on holidays and you just repackage the value of, hey, we put, XYZ extra thing in here or this, and then you put it a different color, you make the promotions a different color, and now you've got something new, right, for people to buy, and it gives them a reason. That's so and, good, And Tom. people are looking for so reasons, good. and therefore, Facebook can, and example, we were in the hair business, so we had, it was um, Hair Awareness, uh, National Hair Awareness Month, but we found that we could keep on running that promotion. It lasted 
for almost nine months before it started wearing down. So if we're giving value to the customers, he or she is happy. So we totally. kept them going. Yeah, yeah. Give them a reason to buy and be even honest more happy. about it. And that's it. So good. So um, the third thing that happened was that there was this discussion internally about, and this is so massive. There was an internal discussion about um, most of our revenue and profit came from direct response. And because Amazon was writing for almost free from all the direct response media from Amazon. The third was our retail business. Again, we had great retail partners from Ulta, uh, CVS, Costco. We just had great retail partners across the board. Um, but the retailers were always asked, saying that the problem is you guys were too premium of price. If you just drop your prices by 30%, we know we can double your volume. Our sales reps were beating us up every day. So there was this internal argument of, and retail sexy, if we want to sell the business, we'll get more value from it. Yeah. So I, again, we had this internal debate and it's something that I said no to for a couple of years. And finally, when we were in desperate, I finally gave in to uh, my partner on that one. Mm -hmm. And so um, what happened is that we, and in direct response, there's, let's just talk about one-way doors versus two-way doors. Two-way door is you can go out and you come back in. One-way door is you're out, that's it. And it's either extremely painful or sometimes is you're you're basically risking your business. Yeah, you can't come back. So changing your prices at retail, um, dropping them is very close to one-way door. Because once you drop your prices at retail, you go back to retail and say, we're going to raise our prices back up again. We're not talking about a promotion. We're talking permanent. So um, retailers will fight you tooth and nail for that because you're suddenly raising the prices to their, their customers and you're not treating their customers fairly. Yeah. So it's something that they re they almost refuse to do. It's very yeah. difficult to get your prices back up. So um, so interesting because in direct response, it's the opposite. Like you can raise your price whenever you want. Well, that's ex that's And then exactly. everyone who bought before is happy and especially subscription. You're like, oh, you're grandfathered in. But in retail, it's a one-way door. And then so, and the logic was, well, we run constant promotions at retail. So all we're doing is giving the customers mm -hmm. what they're asking for, where they buy the most. But then what happens is, is now suddenly they don't know, they have the new perceived floor price for you. They don't remember your old price. Right. So they have it. So in order to get that juice, you're going to have to run some prom promotions. So in general, you drop your, so we did increase our units by about 20 or 30%, but our break even, I believe was about 70%. So we lost about a million and a half dollars of profit from that. So it was a net negative on the price, the price drop. Like you made less money yes. from the price drop. Yes, we did. And the retailers, they're fighting for their dollar. And they, they know getting, they'll sell they getting, more. No, but it's really, they sold more units. At first they were happy. Yeah. But ultimately they saw that um, their revenue dropped slightly, which they were not happy about. Mm -hmm. And they complained a lot about that. But because we have fixed costs with our COGS, we took most of the financial hit. Yeah. So, and that was, um, so I hear a lot of companies saying so, always about the, and it's the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. You read, you have to understand what your key channels are, what drives your profit and what your economic engine is. If your business is retail and direct response is supporting it, that's one thing. Yeah. If your business is a direct response, e-com Amazon business, and your retailers is a great incremental channel, cha channel. And I can't tell you how many companies I see making this mistake. 
Um, if you go, go away and they give all the cards if, to if retail. You let the tail wag the dog yeah. and let you listen to your retailers and make them happy and hurt your am, yeah. Amazon business. It's like I know a lot of people that will fight to get some of the big mass retailers carrying their products. And then mass retailers will run regular discounts. They'll put it online. Again, you can negotiate with the retailers. You could have our product, but you can't put it online. You can negotiate that up in front. Yeah. Or they put online, they can't discount it. Right. And they can't bid against you on SEO. Yep. What I see more often than not is the minute they start running discounts, what happens to your Amazon buy box, which is... Guys, if you're in e-commerce right now, this is absolutely massive. Telling the retailers they cannot run SEO against your keywords because they're like bestbuy.com or or walmart.com, they're going to outrank you. They've got so much juice, right? And they're going to be up there and people trust them. So you're going to end up cutting your margin and cutting your prices and that and cannibalizes you can't, and you your can't, own you sales. Can't, you can't run as much media because right. your your profitability and direct response goes down. Why do you sell to retailers? You sell to retailers to get, because they have a core audience and you want to sell their audience, their audience, tap the audience. When they're running SEO, they're stealing your audience. They're stealing your audience, that's right. And hurting yep. your profitability. So We never went into retail, but we got about six months into the process and you know before we we exited and and sold the brand but like these were all these conversations i was like wait a second right they're they just they want to siphon from you right and so you it's got to be fair yeah, I let love them that. siphon off the brand advertising i'm doing but not right. directly from the customers right so there's some guidelines and things you can do but it, yeah. but i was talking about amazon is right amazon everyone sees that when they see a product right mm -hmm. and the person that that the company that pops up first, not when you say who else is selling this, is who owns the, that's called the buy box. Yep. So um, when a retailer discounts and they're selling also through Amazon, or basically is because there's a cheaper price out there, Amazon will just take down your buy. You, you get you won't have the buy box anymore because you're not the cheapest price because they found through their searching online that a retailer is under that retailing you're selling to is undercutting you, so they'll take you out of the buy box. Yep, and then your promotions, your marketing won't work. So again, minimum so price therefore, thresholds. Therefore, don't let the tail wag the dog. Understand the foundation of your business. Build your business and your logic and your profit around your business model. And regardless of if your uh, stakeholders are telling you something, you listen because you might be missing something. Yeah, but don't abandon your uh, your yeah. business model for that. So. so it's almost like a theme. Kind of all of these mistakes that you've just been talking about, really wrapping together is getting away from the core tenants and the convictions and the strategies that made you successful in a time where there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of turbulence. So if, if you could go back to that point, would you have made those decisions again? Or well, let's put this way. Let's say that something, let me put this way. Or were they, did you have to make them? Uh, right? Like, no, let's all go back to this is first of all, you want to build an anti-fragile business. And I define an anti-fragile business as three really bad things can happen to your business that would one would take down most businesses and you can survive it. You might be wounded, you might be bruised. So I'm always thinking in the businesses, how do we create redundancy and stability, testing new offers, new channels, new products to create this and distributions to always having not relying on one thing. So going back to anti-fragile business, I like it. So going back to where we started with, uh, with uh, our manufacturer, okay? Um, we might or may not been able to prevent that, or we could have probably had a better contingency plan that might have been less risk for us. Um, however, if that happened, we should have stuck with 
the discipline of we can't, we don't have the data, so we cannot run this deep. We can't go with this new promotion, even though it looks like it's a home run for us and it will sustain us and keep us in business. And we felt we were desperate. You're never, uh, it's, you're never that desperate. It's never that bad. And the second thing is um, ask the question, is this a one-way door or two-way door? What is the impact of the business? And run the numbers. So good. Run the numbers to say, if we're betting wrong, what does this mean? And can we, can we survive yeah. that? Yeah. Can we come back? Can we walk back through the door if we make this decision? Love that. So good. It. Tom, what's the biggest mistake that you've made in starting, right? You're at that starting phase. You're like excited about the idea. I think you've done this maybe three. You're on your third kind of- No. No? Four or five. Four or five? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you've done four or five. Some have been massive. Some, you know, you've been successful in your career. Tell me the biggest mistake you've made in that starting phase that someone who's starting right now could really glean from. Um, I'm, can I talk out of both sides of my mouth? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it depends how fast you're going to grow and scale and then what you're, how fast you can get in steady revenue and how much you can invest into losing. Okay, you have to be very careful. So on the one hand, I like the foundation of the team to be really smart, savvy people that I can trust their decision, or I can fairly quickly train them that have good core skill sets. And at a certain point, you're going to have to hire up in pedigree for different capabilities. Um, but you got to be very careful about not hiring too senior people too early. So sometimes made investments in people where they were too senior and they floundered at startup phases. They just didn't, they were, uh, it's out of their league. Yeah. They haven't done it for so many years. It's too small. They don't understand the scrappiness. It's too painful for them. And they can't get their value into the business. So right. even though they have a great credibility and you might be raising money because you have you want to have their name there, um, be very, very careful because they can be significant impediments for you growing in that really scrappy business. And every startup, I don't care how much wind you have at your back and how much resources, you can't get away from your scrappiness. Love that. I, I had that experience. I hired um, I hired an IT VP out of basically a big corporate, like uh, Fortune 500 company. And he came in and it was just like, just the elbow, the sleeves were not rolled up. The elbows had no grease on them. It's like there was no urgency, right? And so that's that's so good. It's like, it's funny. I had the problem of not hiring people who are talented enough in the beginning. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that issue on the first go. And so maybe on, on like a subsequent second or third or fourth business, you're like, so you hired pedigree and then they just didn't have the chops to be in that startup phase as a builder. And then you have to do the so painful good. thing. It's even feel though people took the risk on you and said, okay, I'll join you at this early phase. And they took career risk by going down. You, but if they're not working out. Yeah, you got you to gotta cut you, you the gotta, cord. I mean, I'll give an example it's right tough. now. Is we, mm -hmm. uh, we started this business and we used a fractional CFO for especially for launching in our first deal. And he had a very incredible background and he did such a great job for us that, and he was smart, senior level, but he rolls up his sleeves. He does models. He does basically, he can do the job from soup to nuts and nothing's below him. And he's a very practical, scrappy thinker. So we offered him, he came on board and he's been a phenomenal fit to the company. So 
you have that, and then you have the the other extreme, which is uh, extreme, which is painful for me. But I'm going to say this is, but at the right time, you have to make the investment and higher up to that next level skill. Someone who's been at the top of the mountain, but you want to find people not. How do you know when it's the right time? How do you know when it's the right time to invest in in the in the team? Depends on your growth. If you're sitting there at your million dollars in revenue, and you have a clear path to get to ten million, I mean, I'll share this with you as Wetalonico's brands. Um, I what helped us along the way was that um, we were doing. You probably have gotten up to 35, 40 million. And we met a guy that had been in the industry as a CMO forever. He was a veteran. He was sharp. He was scrappy. He was just um, um, tough. And, um, but with his pedigree, I said, why would he join us? He can get a job at one of the biggest, you know, two, three, $500 million company. He decided to come on board with us. But Andy had been through that cycle so many times of small and group companies to 100 million, 200, 500 million. He did it three or four times. He knew the road. So when he came in, is for him, it was just, come on, I'm going to, and he just got shit done. Yeah. Because he's been there, he's done that. Right. But that's the difference between someone who has the pedigree at the top, but has grown several times small companies to get there. They know the roadmap. Yeah. Someone who's just been only at a large corporation. Yeah. So good. I always say like, well, who, do, who's the next hire, right? It's like, once you identify the position, it's like, well, what would be the best fit? Who's the unicorn? It's like, well, someone who just spent the last three years or maybe their whole career doing what you're about to do multiple times. Yep. So he came in, he had already done what you were about to do multiple yep. times. Yep. Yep. And that's the unicorn, right? The unicorn. In the same industry with the relevant experience, um, similar size. We weren't right? recruiting. We weren't hiring. We weren't searching for him. But when he showed up on our doorstep. So he just fell in your lap. He fell in our lap, but basically wow. is there are opportunities fall great on when that everyone's happens, lap, right? but there's opportunities all the time. Totally. He didn't really come looking for a job. Yeah. It was the partner I looking and just taking advantage of the opportunity. So a lot of times is what most people understand is there's opportunities knocking every single fucking day, but people aren't looking those in opportunities. Yeah. You know, I, um, well, they're not, they're not ready for them. So the biggest mistake them. that I like to think I have not made, but I'm sure that there's been a mistake <laughs> along the way. That's that a, I'm not, I haven't heard that answer yet. I that, love that. that. The biggest that, mistake that I like to think I have not, I have made. not made, but, um, <laughs> that I'm sure that I have, um, well, let's, let's talk about the, the characteristics that kill most companies. Ego. Ego driven that drives a lot of things. Ego that I'm on top of the world, I know everything. The founder, the entrepreneur's the ego. Founder, yes. Next is is fear of shame, which drives a lot of us, or desire for significance, therefore, and net need for significance. So we make ego driven decisions. So I'm going to say that, of course, I made them. It's not one of my big faults, but I've seen more companies fail. For that reason, therefore, I'm a big believer in show me an entrepreneur that is hungry, passionate, but has humility. I'll back them. Um, uh, a founder entrepreneur that has a massive ego and insecurities, I'll stay away from all. What's day the long. shame part? What do you mean by that? Um, okay, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Okay, um, when I first time I joined Russell Brunson's Inner Circle, okay. 
So, and let's talk about shame's all about. Um, I went came out for the first inner circle meeting out in Boise, and it was just after our bank had called us up, my partner and up, and said, "Guys, you went from making six or seven hundred thousand dollars a month to losing six hundred thousand dollars a month." We've been watching you trying to turn this thing around for a couple of months now. We believe we can dump the business and we can recover our piece. And that's all we care about. So we're shutting you guys down. This goes from us having three offers to buy the business between 55 to 75 to saying we're done. And I came out for my first inner circle meeting and I'm my wife Pam came out there with me and we're running along the Boise River where it was one of those cool days and it was kind of like mist in the air it was like spitting in our faces and um and i said pam can we talk about this and she said let's talk about it i said can we be totally open she said go there i said can i go dark she said go dark and she said so what's going on she know what's going on but i repeated the whole guys foundation. i love i love tom's wife pam by the way she's she's a ninja man like, she's ninja. she's awesome she's she's dr wendy rhodes from billions yes yes yeah there you go way. So um, uh, that's exactly right. I, love, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so, so Pam said, uh, let's go there. So I share with her what's all the facts. And, and I, she said, okay, so then if they pull the line, then what happens? I said, then we have about a thousand people in our ecosystem that will probably lose their jobs. And, and then, and she said, then what? I said, well, including our employees, she said, and then what? I said, then we'll be, um, most likely we'll lose, I have some personal guarantees for the next line. So we'll probably lose our cars. We'll lose the house. We probably might own money to the government. And she says, and then when I said, we're in a, we're, we're in an apartment starting again, she said, and where are we are five years from now? I said, probably looking to sell a company for $15 million. She said, so what are you worried about? <laughs> So I went to the inner circle meeting. Don't you love women? It's it's that and, uh, simple. Tom, I know. Come on. I know. What, what are you? What are you worried about? Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> you lose six hundred grand a month, Tom. What are you worried about, man? So then, <laughs> this is like exactly what my wife would say to me. What do you mean? What are you worried <laughs> about? <laughs> we'll just do it again. No, it's like that. Oh wow, man, that's so good. So let's talk about shame. I went to my first inner circle meeting where, again, special forces. I take care of my problems. I don't let people know what my issues are i don't why would i burden them with stories of problems things like that yeah so i went there and um i was i knew i was the biggest company in the room so i go in there and you know i can walk in with a little bit of swagger but do i walk in there and help people that have small business and go be a mentor and spend two days and love mentoring people and doing what i love to do um but i went up there and said let me tell you it's gone my business and i shared everything mm. in this room and that's called if it I was there was shame before I shared it, mm. but by being vulnerable, I put it out there so there's no longer shame. Then after that, and then I what got kind of releases you of it, right? Oh yeah, then I that's exactly sharing it. Sharing it releases it because shame of hiding things is what's killed so many companies. Yeah, because the ego. So oh, you, so so I have to say this. I have uh, a client I'm working with, and they're in the health industry, right? And uh, we're working on his business. And he goes, he goes, Brandon. I tell men all the time that they need to get in front of the mirror, like take their clothes off and face the reality of what they look like. And like, you made me like, you made me do that in my business. Right. I love, I just, I thought of that and I'm just like, Oh, like what a picture of facing the facts and the truth. So and there's facing the facts to yourself. There's a face of facts in front of other people. Sure. And admitting mistakes, things like that. And so, 
then Russell and everyone in the room gave me a lot of just great ideas, some bad, but even the bad ideas spurred new ideas. Then I went and picked, by then I'm on a roll. So I called Roland Fraser, I called Ryan Dice, I called Perry Belcher, I said, here's where I am, what would you do? Called just a bunch of people in my network and saying, fuck it, I'm just, excuse the expression, but I'm just going to um, just share and open up and that's exactly what I did and I got great advice, went back to my team, said, guys, here's the here's ideas, what do you have? And we put them on the board and we rank stacked everything by highest probability of success, lowest amount of resources, and highest impact. And let's get things that have- Say that. Uh, say those three again. Let's start with this. High impact, if it's small impact, I don't care why we're spending our time on that. Love it. High impact, lowest amount of resources. Doesn't take a lot of time or dollars to implement that idea. Yeah. And highest probability of success. Oh, you guys, I hope you're writing this down. Those are the so three good. magic things. So I'm the one who does in a spreadsheet, numbers them one to 10 and then sorts them. Mm -hmm. But, or you can do it visually, just put, uh, so what I do from visual yeah, is under one axis, it's like a, a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. So at a quadrant. So in what I'm looking for is the upper right quadrant, which is those are the ideas that have the highest impact and lowest amount of resources. And then by probability of success, I put circles around them, small circles for low probability, anything with a big circle, high probability of success. So I'm looking for those items in the upper right quadrant, yep. quadrant yep. high probability of success, low amount of resources and, and, and um, highest, impact. highest impact. And I'm looking for those. And that's kind of, that's the secret of how mm -hmm. I, visually go through this, go through this with my team so we can sit and go through it together. Love that. That's so good, Tom. Um, I love that. And that's what, that's what we did. And then we, then, then we got to, got to work. I had a couple of people who just weren't part of the team, didn't have the faith. They left, right? We rolled up our sleeves and it was the best 12 months in my business career. The team got to work. They were incredible. They were a beast. We look and every, and, but every day we got together every day, checking the status full um, redecisions every week about where we're investing our dollars, what we're gonna do from an impact perspective, it's always always about the data. Yeah. Read the data, read the test results, or are we statistically significant? Great, do we roll it? No, let's keep it going for one more week, let's get confirmatory reads on it, and then we can roll. So you made some mistakes, things went bad, you sought mentorship, I love that, right? Like you went and paid to be in a room of people to get ideas and to learn, when you were losing $600,000 a month. Yes, and no one else you went, I did? You went and expanded. I love that. I'm just I like- I hired two people. And you hired, hired two people. I, where most people say, you're losing money, how can you do it? Yeah. I hired a new um, director of digital marketing and a new and a new head of Amazon. And love that. that response. The response to the stress and the strain was still, okay, I gotta do something different, right? So, okay, so we all have to come like, we got we're coming around third base. Like we're, we're heading towards home plate. Like how did this all shake out, right? So you had this huge impact. You were losing $600,000, $700,000 a month. Your bank was gonna pull your line. You were gonna lose your house. We, 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 we went in, we got ideas. We started implementing. You said it was the best 12 months in your life. Like how does the story end? Most story end? Well, we got the business back to the level of profitability up that we had before and just the wind at our back. And then eventually we sold the private equity, so. Awesome. Wow, that's so good, man. I love that, I love that. Um, are you, you want to, are you good to go for 20 uh, or you want to wrap up? No, we can go for a little bit longer. Okay, okay. sweet. So I'll, um, so Tom, just rounding the corner on that incredible story with, with that company and the, the, the trials and, and coming up, what's the dumbest mistake that you've made in business that you're just like, oh, and it could be simple. It doesn't have to be huge. Like what comes to mind? Cause I, I've done some dumb stuff. I'm like, 
Yeah, you didn't flick that switch or that setting, know, and then know, there's, there I goes know, a million I bucks, know, right? I should be thinking about this. <laughs> um, checking my work or having someone else check my work because I'm sometimes moving so fast. Mm. So like I... Um, Often not I, having someone check yes, your work. Often I run my my own models. I build my own models out because I'm fast and good at it. Mm-hmm. Like and like financial models. Financial models. You know, here let's do this. Let's make this all Excel magic. Let's, yes. Let's make this offer. Let's build this new division out. Let's whatever it is, let's mm-hmm. build this new product stream. And uh sometimes I'm moving so fast and moving so fast through that that mm-hmm. I don't have someone check my work or me slowing down to check it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, made some mistakes along the way. Bad decisions. Like an extra zero somewhere it shouldn't be. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah, looks yeah, good, yeah, but yeah, it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, was it wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and therefore, the numbers tell everything. And then you want to train your team how to gut check numbers. Back of the math envelope, just numbers to say, I don't care if it's an Excel spreadsheet. I don't care if it's the most complex computer system in the world. You want to just see, are the numbers reasonable by using round numbers? And it's something that I do a lot Yeah. to say, does this seem reasonable, totally. this, by using round numbers and and training your team to do that. Um, so good. The biggest challenge I'll say that I have in business, which I'm learning from every time I make a mistake, is um, partners. Partners are the toughest thing there is. <laughs> um, you know, partners. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that if you say that my biggest mistakes are those. And here's the. Um, what what and, was the what was let the me tough ask you one? This. And if there is a horrible marriage, who's to blame? Ah, uh, that's a complicated question. Stacy, what does Stacy say? Stacy, oh, you're talking to Stacy Martino. Yeah, Stacy Martino. They say that it takes only it only takes one person to save a to marriage. save marriage, and it's typically not one person whose yeah. fault. It's probably it's two sides of every story. Right? It might be yeah. 60, 40, 70, 30, yeah. doesn't matter, but it's always both sides. Right. So, in partnerships, I can't say that my partners are to blame. I'll have to, you know, I'm I'm big believer in extreme ownership, um, but um, just patterns of what you know. It's like. One of the first partnerships I got into when I started my first consulting business when I left AT&T forever ago, I thought, wow, this would be great. I was working in some engagement, met another guy. We started working together. He had complementary skills that I, nothing that I did. And I started working with him. Um, his values and the way he found he can get leverage with, uh, with the clients was by, <laughs> um, not talking great about me and talking big about himself. Mm. So it brought his significance, trust yeah. level to him. But again, so it was like understanding that values and integrity is everything. My second partnership, and this is big even Atlantica's brands, is we weren't meant to be partners. And when we realized that we were six months or a year into it, remember in the end we were worked together for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And within six months to a year, we realized that this is just we might have really great fundamental skills and there's some magic with us working together, but from business partners, it was toxic and we knew that, but I felt- But you stayed together for 18 years? Every year it was the same thing is, um, 
we have too much. To, I, six months, I thought I had too much to oh, lose. Oh, that sounds exhausting. I had two small, small kids and I was gambling everything. At a year, two small kids and gambling everything. So how can I afford to leave this? Two years, three years. And then eventually we got big enough. I try to buy him out and no amount of money. Um, he wouldn't buy me out and no amount of money that it was like, I'll pay you this much of money for your half the business. Mm. Uh, no, it's too little. Did that put I a said, lot of stress said, on just like so your just desire pay, to get up in the morning and work the business? No, I'm a beast. No, you just absorbed it, didn't care? I absorbed it, though it was the thing that created anxiety. If I said anything, there's yeah. things I, I felt I can control anything in the business. My relationship with him, I couldn't. So that if you say what over 18 years caused anxiety in my life, it was yeah. that. So you're, and, you're a beast, you work through it. I, I totally see that. I know that about you, but it's still like it affected. No, no, it, it took so much joy for my life. Yeah. And at times wow. I was with my young kids thinking about our dynamics, our toxic dynamic yeah. versus being with my kids. Totally. Because it occupied me. Therefore, it wasn't, in hindsight, you could, as Pam says, Pam says all the time. Pam. There's a door, just take it. If it's not working, take it. You'll figure it out. You'll, it always work out. You have to do what's in your heart and never say is we can't afford to do that. We can't take that risk because when it comes to your emotional mental health yeah, and your quality of life, mm -hmm. um, I remember that there was- So a, do you wish that you would have gotten out of it? Like, would you have traded the anxiety and like, like just the impact it had on your life for like the financial reward of that business? Probably, yes. Would you have- Olympus, so wait, you'd give you would give the the financial reward of the business up to not have had that strain on your life for that amount of time. Eighteen years is a long time. I know that. Yes, it's like being so in a, being in a bad it's marriage. Tough right? to say. You know, it's like saying you said yes. I, met, I know that, but I met I met, <laughs> and I understand that. I met wow. incredible people. I got incredible skill sets. Totally, I am who I am and where I am today because of that. So right. regret is a tough thing. But however, yeah. um, would. Uh, but would the Tom Shipley of today tell the Tom Shipley in 2007? Don't do it. Go, go, <laughs> leave. No, no. Is that just, what you would tell just him? Just go, just go. Wow. Go. You'll start again. It'll be fine. That's a great way to answer It'll that. Be I like fine. the way you answer It'll that. be fine. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. So. I love that. Um, all right, let's, let's round the corner here to, to home base and we'll, we'll take go it home. It. So what's something that you usually don't like to share, but maybe you will with the audience just to serve them today? I share probably more than I share. By the way, I shared more than I ever have today. Really? I never talk about my partner because I don't want to ever sure. make anyone feel negative or bad. And that's why I said it's could have gone both ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, from a um, lessons learned of what people can learn from, it's among the most powerful and important because what i decided over the last three if you're four in years, a partnership that you you know you're you don't feel like it's serving you it's taking joy out of your life just get out that's the lesson i mean, go all in to see if see, first of all take responsibility that's all you right go and do everything you can to fix it but if you can't it's just not meant to be then find just do a what Pam very, would do. just uh, do a very respectful exit out even if you walk away and Fair. give someone the keys it doesn't matter because have confidence in yourself. So good. Love that man. What's an embarrassing moment in your life? It could be a funny story. Okay. Uh, well, by the way, if you say embarrassing, if embarrassing moments, you like, um, <laughs> it, you'll have my daughters laughing because that's just <laughs> me, you know, it's, yeah. um, so 
We've talked about some thick, heavy things today. We got to end on. No, I know. I'm. uh, um, I don't know. Like, like my dad put a helmet on me when I was a little kid, and I like people were like, "Hey, is everything okay with Brandon?" He was just trying to protect my head from my older brother, right? Like that's an embarrassing moment. Like what comes to mind? Um, right now, my kids know that I'm light. I'm humble in many ways, and therefore, and I don't take life as seriously as I did coming out of special forces. But coming out of my coming out of special forces, starting my first business Thursday, Friday nights, I never Thursday nights I never slept. I didn't sleep in the army. Why would I sleep in my first business? So I was like hardcore, yeah, and everything just very serious from that perspective. So I remember I had the first opportunity. I had this great management team in place and had a hundred employees. We went to um, there was some event and the press was there. And I speaking to a group of people. There were probably 150 people in the audience and press and taking pictures. And I was there in this really in back in this is again Web 1.0, this semi dot com company that was exploding in sales and being written up everywhere. And I got to speak. And it was a hot summer day in Orlando, Florida. And even though we were inside, I was like just so thirsty. And there was this great big glass of ice in front of me, ice water in front of me. Mm -hmm. So as I'm talking, I'm speaking, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm drinking it. And um, I think it's going well. And then what happens when there's barely any water left in the glass and you're still thirsty? Suddenly all the ice comes and just (laughs) on me, on my body. Like while you're speaking? While I'm speaking, (laughs) it hit the microphone, all the ice hits the microphone. And then Pam raises her arm and says, "My husband," because <laughs> that's classic it. me. That's classic me. There's so. something like good old self-deprecation, you and know? that's exactly just to keep it. us humble over here. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Oh man, Tom, that was so good. You shared so much. I, I mean, I'm like, I got to go back and listen to that again. Like, there's some major nuggets. That. that was that was epic, man. Um, huge guys. If you're wa- you're listening, you're watching on YouTube. Drop a comment. Leave us a review. Tell me what your biggest takeaway was from Tom today. Cause I know, I know for me, there's a few, there's some, there's some golden nuggets that were falling. Tom, anything else I, it's on your mind that you want to share with the listeners? Today? No, I just appreciate you and Kaylin. You guys are the best period. I feel joy and gift that you're, it's a gift that you're in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. I, we feel the same about you guys. I love that. Um, where can people connect with you or, or uh, how, how can I, how can we support what you're doing in business? Well, in general, I, um, been a little slow because I've been focused on my startup now, but um, I typically like to publish on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn just thoughts about life and thoughts about business. So, find you just Tom Shipley, Tom basically. S H I P L E Y. Love it. it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for being here today. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. That's it. That's all we got for you. Tune in. That's we'll see it. you guys. Take care.